Like, was that the point? Was to point out? So. Or is he just being like, how much can I wind up my brother and see what he'll put in a hymn book? I think he's just expressing like his, his deep need for Jesus. Mm. And it's a deep longing as well. Longing, though. yes. And that comes out in other bits of the of the hymn, which we'll get into, but it is an inter- it's an open question. I don't have a definitive Do we give him a pass, dear listener? Yeah. Or do we say, no, Charles, slap on the wrist for you. <laughs> Let us know. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funka. And today we will be talking about Charles Wesley's popular hymn, Jesus Lover of My Soul. We'll take a look at why his brother John wasn't too keen to publish this hymn. And we'll also get a great heap of encouragement on how to worship God in the midst of temptation and doubt. But first, if you're listening to us for the first time or for some odd reason you have yet to join the Impartial family, head over to impartial.com where you can do several things. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can become a Kofi member and support us financially. It really does help. And if you're a big fan of what you hear today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like and share this episode, or be really nice and do all of the above. We are on a mission to encourage Christians everywhere to think, pray, and consider how we worship God through music. So go to impartial.com and join the family today. Now, today's hymn is written by one of the greatest hymn writers of all time. Okay, maybe you don't agree, but lots of people would. Uh, We have done an episode or two on some of Charles Wesley's hymns before, and in those episodes, we give you a brief breakdown of his life and background. We can link those in the description. We probably won't, but we could. But for those of you who haven't heard of those, I'll give you a tiny recap here. Charles Wesley is the younger brother of John Wesley, and the two of them are often referred to as the Wesleys or the Wesley brothers. Our hymn writer wasn't just the younger brother of John, but he was the youngest member of his family, being the last of 18 children to survive infancy. Him and all his siblings were born in England, Mm -hmm. specifically Epworth Lincolnshire, I'm just going to leave that there. His father was a rector of the local parish and his mother was the daughter of a prominent English dissenter. So lots of ministry in their family. Charles followed in his brother's footsteps by pursuing study and higher education at St. Peter's College, then later Christchurch College, Oxford. And after graduating, he obtained a fellowship in Lincoln College, Oxford. So he was super smart. Um, And we know from previous episodes that Charles and his brother John were the originators of the ecclesiastical movement we know today as the Methodists, though, as we noted before, that movement has changed drastically from the mm-hmm. days of the Wesleys. Very different. He's said to have written about 6,500 hymns. In, in the hymnal titled The Wesleyan Hymn Book, 80% of those hymns included were written by Charles. <laughs> uh, he published more than 30 poetical works, some of those in collaboration with his brother John. So hugely prolific, prolific and an accomplished writer. You can find out more about Charles Wesley in our episode, And Can It Be? One of my favorite hymns. Yes. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, Anything else you want to talk about, Charles, before we move on to the hymn? Nah. I mean, 
well, some people will always hate him just because he and his brother had less than Calvinistic theology. Mm-hmm. But he wrote really good hymns and I have no problem singing his really good hymns. He is, yes, definitely one of the greats. Even mm. If you don't think he's the greatest, that's fine. But he's definitely in the top ten. Say he might be my top five. I would say top five, but some maybe some people have others. That we'll, are uh, we'll play it safe. There. We'll say top ten. Top ten to play it the safe. The upper half of the top ten. <laughs> well, we had um, Matt Boswell on the show last year, and he said he is the poet laureate of the church. Ooh, that was his wording for Charles Wesley. Yeah, the two faces that come to mind are Cooper and Watts. Ooh. I think they'd be strong contenders. Strong contenders. Do, you know, do we not have like a Wesley tier on Kofi? We do. We have Watts, Wesley, and Crosby. Head on mm. over there to find out more. Maybe somebody needs to become a member today. Pick your favorite hymn writer and sponsor, mm. sponsor us on that tier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We'd appreciate it. Um, so in today's hymn, we will see how Charles Wesley explores the real Christian struggle of temptation and helplessness. But before we dig in, Cara, do you mind just reading the lyrics? Sure. I do love a bit of Charles Wesley. Okay. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is nigh, hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, O receive my soul at last. Other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone, still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed, all my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenceless head with the shadow of thy wing. Wilt thou not regard my call? Wilt thou not accept my prayer? Lo, I sink, I faint, I fall. Lo, on thee I cast my care. Reach out, reach me out, thy gracious hand while I of thy strength receive. Hoping against hope, I stand, dying, and behold, I live. Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee I find. Raise the fallen, cheer the faint, heal the sick, and lead the blind. Just and holy is thy name, I am all unrighteousness. False and full of sin I am, thou art full of truth and grace. Plenteous grace with thee is found, grace to cover all my sin. Let the healing streams abound, make me make and keep me pure within. Thou of life the fountain art, freely let me take of thee. Spring thou up within my heart and rise to all eternity. <clears throat> Wonderful hymn. I mean, for those of you who are not super familiar with Charles Wesley, you could see the poet in his hymns. It's just... He just- yeah. yeah. He's got away with words. He's got away with words. We'll talk quite a bit about the imagery used in this hymn. But first, let's hear from some experts. <laughs> so two guys called Patrick A. Ebby and Christopher P. McFadden write about this hymn. That Yezu Lover of My Soul was published four times during Charles Wesley's life. It was included in its entirety in Hymns and Sacred Poems in 1740 and the pocket hymn book in 1785. What seems to be the turning point and the focus of this hymn is stanza three, which we will get into later, which was left out of hymns and spiritual songs in 1753 and select hymns in 1765. The shortened version without stanza three is most often copied in later hymnals. 
This has been one of Charles Hamley's most enduring popular hymns. So even though this is one of his most popular hymns, it's not the full hymn that's popular. There's a weird removal of a certain stanza, which we... Yeah, I just like reread that quickly while you were yeah. talking, and I was like... Why? Why is the question. What's going on? It's a really important stanza, too, so that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, so even even though it was this fan favorite or is this fan favorite, there's a lot of controversy over the opening line, mm. which is Jesus, lover of my soul. Now, at the time of its publishing, it was thought to be too daring of a description of Jesus. Even Charles's brother, John, excluded this hymn from the large hymn book of 1780 for fear that the language sounded too intimate. Well, I mean, we're used to it now because we have all these ridiculous songs. Some good songs, some ridiculous ones. Um, but I can see how people back then, because what are we talking, like the 17... 1800s they would have been like we've never even seen ankles before and you're calling <laughs> jesus our lover like yeah. what's going on well i was gonna ask you like how do you think charles gets a gets away with it is he playing word games where lover as in the one who loves as in a lover yes i and mean not, not as in like like a lover as in not like romantic yeah love, but, but as in the one who loves someone yeah. who loves something yes. yeah is that how he gets away with it I, I, the the question is open to you. If this is your oh. jam, I want to know because we will we will drag a hymn or a modern day hymn for being too like you know touchy feely. We talked about this. Yeah, and we did a Valentine's Day episode, and we we talked about some of these. Um, we talked about oceans, didn't we? No, some of these really kind of these cringy weird hymns ones where it was it was on about like something bizarrely intimate mm -hmm. in its thing yes. yeah oh it was that song where it's like oh i lean back against your chest and like yeah it, you, what's the other I, one that's... i feel your heartbeat and you're like what what's the one that everyone always uses it's like when heaven meets earth like a, a sloppy, sloppy wet, wet kiss, kiss or whatever yeah. like that one so like this was on that level to people. In, for, for that day, yeah. that's, that's kind of the, what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. In fact, so a lot of people, so in, in the hymnals that it was included in, sometimes people will replace lover with refuge or savior. Okay. Um, I, get, I get why they do that. It is very, it is very intimate. But it's an intimate picture of like the cross is intimate like, like our our relationship with god he, is intimate he does love you in the mm -hmm. deepest realest way mm -hmm. possible and in the most perfect way like mm. even your spouse isn't going to love you the way jesus loves you mm. um obviously it's a different kind of love mm -hmm. but i guess that's where the question comes in doesn't it yeah yeah i think we but give him a pass in this song for really like i mean yes jesus lover of my soul and he obviously was, goes on to was talk was the point specifically to make people go oh that's close like was that the point was to point out so. or is he just being like how much can i wind up my brother and see what he'll put in a hymn book i think he's just expressing like his his deep need for jesus mm. and it's a deep longing as well longing though. yes and that comes out in other bits of the of the hymn which we'll get into but 
it is an inter- it's an open question. I don't have a definitive answer to it. Do we give him a pass, it. dear listener? Yeah. Or do we say, no, Charles, slap on the wrist for you. <laughs> Let us know. I don't know. I think it's a valid point and I can see yeah. both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a lot of a lot of interesting points to consider. But if you can get over this opening line. Which you, John Wesley couldn't. <laughs> yes. Which his brother was like, I don't know, brother. Um, you You can definitely see how Charles explores the tensions between temptation and faith that we have in this life. The first part of the hymn uses three images to expand on this tension. It's a storm, a place of refuge, and the refuge of God's wings. In verse one, we have the storm. In our bonus clip for this episode, I will actually share a snippet from the book Amazing Love, How Can It Be? Studies on Hymns by Charles Wesley, Hmm. which has been a tremendous source for this episode. So like lots of plagiarism going on here. Um, In that bonus clip, I will read of Charles's own experience in a great storm that took place before this hymn was published. So very likely the inspiration for him writing these opening verses. You know, what is it with these hymn writers getting caught in storms? Like him and John Wesley both. It's just, that's the way people traveled across the seas i know but it's like seems like i don't know nowadays you go to church camp and you're like oh i heard the gospel and i got saved back then it was like oh i was on this big old rickety boat in the atlantic in a storm and that's my story i know that's why i don't mess with the sea man like (laughs) i'm like no thank you I'll, i'll pass um so yeah i mean For those of you who have our newsletter, you can access that bonus clip right away because we're going to send it to you. But for those of you who aren't signed up to our newsletter, you're just going to have to wait until we remember to open it up publicly. And one time, legitimately, we didn't open up a bonus clip for almost two months because we just completely forgot to open it up. I'm like, I put it up on YouTube and then I forget about it. Yeah. And our bonus clips are fire, guys, because we had a bonus clip go like baby viral like a few weeks ago and it was a bonus clip with one of our guests it wasn't even the main episode it, it was just episode. like this five minute clip where she was talking about something yeah. and everybody's like wow it was really good it was, it was really good so our just just another plug you know up. you want to be ahead of the curve yes, you gotta sign curve. up for the newsletter you gotta sign up for it so that's the end of that plug <laughs> so in verse one he's describing this raging storm and he's pleading for the Lord to receive him and protect him from this mm-hmm. storm. And the water of the storm kind of represents like danger and the power of temptation. This of course reminds us of the passage in Matthew eight where the disciples were caught in a raging storm. Cara, will you read this for us? I will. I will just briefly note before I read that I read somewhere that um Sea imagery in Hebrew literature, specifically, obviously, Charles Wesley wasn't Jewish, but in Jewish literature, like the sea is, um, is kind of symbolic of chaos. Oh, look at that. And unpredictability. Layers on layers you get on this podcast. You don't even expect it, but there it is. <laughs> anyway, Matthew eight twenty three to 25 says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Yep. So verse two picks up on this idea of being defenseless and helpless in the midst of the storm. 
Uh, he uses the words, hangs my helpless soul on thee, cover my defenseless head. Um, and we see this mirrored in the, in the, we see this mirrored in scripture in the passage that Carr just read in Matthew 8, because the disciples realize they cannot do anything to control the storm around mm. them. They're really only waking up Jesus to say, how are you sleeping through this? <laughs> like we're about to die. Um, and they're completely shocked when he actually rebukes the wind and the sea. And, you know, you know this for sure that they're shocked because later in that passage, they say in verse 27, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So despite them realizing their powerlessness in the storm and like, this is not the first, I've been reading a lot recently and I don't even remember which book I was reading. It was a fiction, book of fiction. And they were describing being caught in a storm and they had like a a sailboat, like an old, well, I say old fashioned sailboats are obviously uh, modern, but they were just being tossed to and fro. They had to tie themselves to the boat because there was nothing they could do. All their sails had ripped. They just did all the wrong things in order to like properly navigate out of the storm. And so they just had to literally hold onto the boat and pray that they didn't go upside down and be drowned. Mm -hmm. And they, and they made it spoiler alert for the book that you don't know I was reading. But that's how the disciples felt. They were like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? And then you look over and Jesus is taking a nap and they're like, wake up. Like, what are you doing? Was it, was it your husband was preaching a few weeks ago and he said about like, this is a slight sidetrack, yeah. but like this story is a beautiful picture of both Jesus's humanity and his divinity. Mm -hmm. That was him. Probably. Probably. <laughs> we pay attention. Yeah, I'm uh, there. Money has a toddler, it's not yeah. And I have a just very short attention span anyway the point being like his sleeping was indicative of his humanity because mm. he just he needed rest he was wiped out yeah and then you've got this wonderful display of his divinity mm. in telling the storm and the waves to just simmer down and yeah. they do yeah um anyway that's a side note no it's per it's perfect um but but we could all relate to the helplessness that the mm -hmm. disciples felt in that moment in the midst of the temptation and the state of our sinful nature we can't do anything to control the waters around us um and we see um, this reality in passages uh, in Romans in a few places. But Car, if you could read Romans seven eighteen. Yep. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And also in Romans five six. For we were still weak at. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you have these two very different passages, but the center of it is that we are not strong enough. We are not in control. And you get these images from Charles in these first two verses that you're just like, oh my gosh, temptation or trials or whatever is around you. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I can't do anything about it. And in the verse that Cara just read, it's speaking of our of our desire not to be able to overcome that temptation without God. And in the second verse that I just read, it shows God's grace in that he enters the scene when we are at our weakest. And obviously in this specific context, it was about um, our salvation. I'm so thankful for that. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's so, so good that God doesn't just leave us to our temptation and mm -hmm. then judge us for it. Like he does help his people mm -hmm. and enable them to fight sin. And that's, if you think about it, that's quite a mercy that he bothers to do that. Yeah. 
Yes, but, you know, it's new like, mercies every morning from you know, him. Like, we, oh, I want you to do this. You're completely incapable. Let me help you do yeah. the thing I've asked you to do. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. So we see how Charles really poetically draws us to worship God through our utter helplessness in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trials. Verse 3 the controversial verse, deals with the hymn writer's overwhelming doubt that God will even hear him. He says, wilt thou not regard my call? Wilt thou not accept my prayer? Um, Charles is desperate. And in the midst of the storm, he's not even sure he has refuge in the Lord. And I think for anyone who has experienced lack of assurance in their faith, which I've definitely, I definitely mm-hmm. have, this lack of assurance almost always is coupled with temptation. So it yeah. actually really fits in the place of the hymn. Yes. It also fits in with that Christian like experience. When, when you're not assured that God is there and like that the rock is under your feet, that one of the things you automatically do is look for something else that might be stable, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where the temptation yeah. comes in. It's like, I don't feel like there's anything stable. I'm not sure that God is. Mm. And so I'm going to go look for something else that might be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree. So do you think, um, sorry if you're going to get to no. this, but do you think the doubt is why the verse doesn't come in because it's funny though why would you leave such an intimate statement like jesus lover of my soul and then be like but the doubt is too uncomfortable (laughs) it might be prejudice against charles for his armenian views it might be even a calvinist can feel like that he's not saying it's objectively true that god won't hear his cries he's doing that thing where you just you talk out of your pain yeah, and you're like, this is how I feel. Yeah. And, you know, objectively, it's not true. Of course, you're going to hear my yeah. cry. Of course, you're going to answer my prayer. Yeah. But the psalmist does it. So this is this is exactly what I was going to say. I Sorry. mean, I might. No, 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 no. I might have mentioned this story before, but because I'm an old person, I do that. Um, I repeat stories. But you only have three of them. I only have three stories. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we had a my old pastor back back home he was really weary of us singing this version of psalm 51 because if you remember this is after um david has sinned with bathsheba and he's approached by nathaniel and nathan, nathan yeah, sorry he tells a story about the yes. lamb yeah and then he cries out to the lord and he's he's admitting his iniquities only against you and then he he cries out take not your Holy Spirit from me. Mm -hmm. And my old pastor was like, look, this is scripture. So like, I'm not saying it's incorrect, but obviously that might be confusing to a new Christian if they roll Mm -hmm. up and they're like, wait a minute, we were just singing, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Can Jesus, can Jesus take his Holy Spirit from us? And how, you know, it's, it's really important to understand like the, the context of the congregation and like that was a concern. Mm. He wasn't concerned that it wasn't a biblical call, but it was concerned with the person who might think that Christ could remove himself from the believer. And so I think that might be a prejudice there. That, that makes sense. Yeah. But <laughs> yes. Um this is totally a guess. I don't know, I know why. I'm just I'm just like thinking about this. I'm yeah. like, yes, in isolation you could get that from that verse. Mm-hmm. But the flow the flow of the hymn doesn't leave you there. No, it doesn't. And and this third verse is so 
good because it starts with it's this. Like, it's like the hymn goes like that. Yeah. And uh, for those who are listening and not watching, I'm making like a... <laughs> a roller coaster wave. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a sort of a U. So it starts high Dip. and then it yeah. dips in this really low point in verse three where he's like are you even listening god yeah are you out there like what's going on and then it, it comes back up again yeah at the end i was going to say the mathematical thing but i can't remember which one it is uh, it doesn't matter it's an inverse bell curve for you anyways weirdos out there that care about maths so yeah as you said there is a turning in this verse it obviously starts with this overwhelming doubt that he has And then the hymn writer lets go Mm -hmm. and casts himself on the Lord anyway. He says, lo, I sink, I faint, I fall. Lo, on thee I cast my care. Reach me out thy gracious hand. And this very closely mirrors, well, it doesn't closely mirror it, but it makes me think of when Peter encounters Jesus walking Mm -hmm. on the water um, and he tries to walk himself. Cara, can you can you read that passage for us in Matthew 14? Yeah, so it's Matthew 14, 28 to 33. I was thinking of this too. So mm-hmm. I was reading it. I was like, hmm, it's mm-hmm. Peter. So it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Yeah. Hate to the men. I mean, if you think about it, like, Peter was literally walking on right? water, and then he's just like, Oh, I don't know about this. And you're like, are you kidding? You're walking on water! <laughs> <laughs> I guess... Maybe there is a parallel with with um with this hymn because mm-hmm. like he does he does talk about like you know Jesus loving his soul and being a haven and being a refuge mm-hmm. and like he has that faith of being like I'm coming out the boat and then he's like oh my goodness are you listening to me like are you <laughs> hearing me pray and that yeah like you say that's when he starts to go under and you're yeah. like you know this isn't yeah. yeah no absolutely everything you're saying I mean that's. That's the truth of the passage. And there's that sea again, right? Yeah. Like is that those waters um, that just represent all this lack of control that we have. The reason why Jesus walking on water is incredible is because it's incredible. Like what? The water? No one does that. No one could walk on water unless it's frozen. And you better that be careful. <laughs> it's a different stage of water. Don't don't at me. No one walks on wet water. No, no one walks on water. You can't. You're too heavy. You're going to sink. So... You know, it's just it just shows God's divinity and also his gracious hand literally reaching out to Peter and being like, Okay, like why are you dripping? Like, you know, like, it's like I'm you right asked here. for this and yeah. now you're like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just a great great reminder that God can and mm-hmm. will lift us out of our faithlessness when we cry out to him, which is what yep. we hear in this third verse. And I think it's it's maybe good just to quickly say as well, like, mm. I don't think I know anybody that hasn't had doubts at some point. Like, that's not... If you're out there, tell me your secret. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, what did you do? Get saved seconds before you died? Yeah. Like, um, so, you know, some people do wrestle with doubt and yeah. lack of assurance. And they feel like somehow they're, like, unholy or sinful. And mm-hmm. might be. But it's yeah. not... You're not alone in that. Most no. believers 
to some degree will have that in their lives. Yeah. It's a normal thing to wrestle through. Yes, and and the key word there is wrestle. Like yeah. wrestle with the Lord um, because, you know, he's going to be right there with you. Um, and when you're having those doubts thinking, can you even hear me? Like take take encouragement from uh, from Wesley here where he says, lo, on thee I cast my care. Mm-hmm. Just like throw yourself into his arms and and receive that encouragement from his Holy Spirit and that, and that confidence and that assurance. Sometimes you have, I mean, what, you know, we, we've done a lot of evangelism in our life and, you know, there's lots of metaphors for what it means to have faith. And the one that used to come up a lot in my time when I watched a lot of apologetics was, you know, um, faith is, we, we exercise faith all the time. For example, the very first time I sat down in this chair, I had faith that it was strong enough to hold me and it wouldn't collapse, right? And sometimes that's just what you have to, like I didn't sit here and write a thesis and do a PhD on like the structural integrity of this chair to make sure that it was strong enough. It's like I had I had enough of the facts and I and I quickly put them together and I just sat down and I had that faith. So one of the, the chair, maybe one of the weaker arguments um, in apologetics, but um, nevertheless, a true one. <laughs> so verse three, I think is really critical. And I think it's a shame that people remove it because it shows that turning, that really necessary turning for someone who's in temptation and having doubts. It shows the reality of struggle as yeah. well. Yeah. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it feels like hymns are entirely about, this is good, we can do this. Yeah, everything's great. And sometimes you feel like you really can't. So no. sometimes it's nice to have a verse or two that's like, ah, I'm losing my mind, Lord. Because <laughs> uh, sometimes you feel like that. Yeah. So I'm all for keeping it in. Yeah. Not that anyone asked me, but. I, I'm asking you, would you keep it in, Cara? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Approved. Um, So for the remainder of the hymn, we have this new perspective from Charles. He's no longer weighed down by doubt and fear. He stands confidently in the grace of God. And nearly every line of the next two uh, verses speaks to this. Um, Some that stand out are, raise the fallen, cheer the faint, and thou art full of truth and grace. That's in verse four. And then some other lines in verse five is, let the healing streams abound make and keep me pure within. So like the, these last two verses is just like joy upon joy. Oh my gosh, you heal people. You rescue the faith. Like, there's, hey, I'm a sinner, but you're amazing. Like, there's an abundance there as well yeah. that I really like where it's like the streams are abounding, yeah. the grace is plenteous, and there's mm-hmm. just like this this rich, never-ending goodness that comes from God towards us. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I love it. And and like we've said, this is such a wonderful journey that Charles takes us on. And for all Christians, this is so familiar. Like this is the familiar ups and downs of the Christian faith. Um, it's that cyclical way that we fall into temptation and trials and we start to doubt the very power of God. And with all grace and patience, he reaches out his hand and pulls us out of our sin, leading us to repentance and faith once again. So... Yeah. Um, a great verse to kind of end this thought on is 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, if you okay. don't mind reading that. Sure. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. I thank him who has given me strength, 
Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So even in this passage, we have Paul taking us through his, like the Cliff Notes version of Mm -hmm. his ups and downs with the Lord. And what a great um, proclamation of who God is there at the end. Be honour and glory forever and ever. So, if you like this hymn, let us know in the comments. Because, yeah, let us know. First off, are you keeping the first line? Second <laughs> off, are you keeping the third verse? Mm-hmm. We'd like to know. We're curious. And we're always curious about people's reasoning. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what an encouraging hymn. Um, I love that it just speaks to the reality of the struggle of the Christian life. But also the grace that is there for us even after we're saved mm-hmm. it's important to remember that like yeah we're saved by grace but we're also kept by it mm-hmm. and that's a wonderful truth so i hope this encourages you as much as it's encouraged us thank you so much for sharing with us um <laughs> yeah and we'll see you again next week but until then may the lord bless you and keep you bye bye